I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. On this week's podcast episode, I'm talking to designer and stylist Simone Haig, who's joining me in the Design Anthology offices in Melbourne. I think uh, anyone who's probably been paying attention to design media in Australia would have seen a number of your projects. Um, it's obviously been, well, it looks from the outside, I'm sure, like a bit of a, an overnight success, but overnight successes are very rarely actually overnight <laughs> so successes. 15 years of overnights. <laughs> yeah, that's usually the way. Um, so I know you've talked quite extensively about your sort of unconventional path to, you know, how you ended up where you are now. Um, so I'm not going to make you repeat all of that today, but I did want to start by asking you, you know, when was it that you realised that this was actually your calling, this being uh, styling and, and designing interiors? Well, I think there's a few mediums to styling, isn't there? So I think it does take a little while to figure out what your niche is within that broader um, job description, if you will. And uh, it's funny, I used to do a few mentorship sessions from my house and in one of the chats I had with these with these ladies at we spoke a lot about editorial styling and I take my hat off to people that do that so well because I know that uh, it is a, it's a hell of a lot of work and uh, we had a bit of a giggle that uh, one woman who was working in banking was in this high paid role, wanted to get into styling styling a shoot and then she realised that she needed a tree for the outside of the house and then she called her husband who was also in banking he came and bought a tree around and here's two people both that were in banking on probably you know quite spectacular wages <laughs> holding up trees outside a photo shoot so you know all that sort of side of styling is great fun but not for me mm. um throughout my my journey Susie I realised that that furnishing people's houses and layering them up is is what is what I love to do, and the best way that I have described it in the past is by turning a house upside down. And uh, what falls out is is my my medium. But to answer your question, when it's it's hard to say when I I feel like it was a calling, but I I suppose it's when it goes from being a hobby or something that you do for yourself, and then when people start to want to employ you and employ your IP and and pay for your for your ideation I think that's when it goes from hobby to calling so I would say when it becomes a there's a commercial element to it and this this fun hobby um I guess more broadly something that I would love to do day and night and read about and and research becomes something that people actually want to employ me to do on their behalf I think that's when you 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 can click over into calling land Mm, yeah that's a great answer um so early on, do you do you have any memories, you know, from childhood or even later in life of perhaps the first time that you were moved by a space or a building or some kind of form of architecture or built environment? Do you have, you have any of those kinds of memories? I think as a young child, I would say most likely Heidi Gallery would be the answer that comes to mind. I, I grew up in, in the suburbs out that way. Um, in a far more suburban existence than, you know, what you'd see within, you know, within the Heidi space. But um, I think it was a school excursion there uh, that really opened my eyes to the the power of of architecture and and particularly mid-century architecture. Um, And it's a space that I return to regularly and have done with mum, friends and and kids and 
the odd photo shoot location. So I would say as a child, seeing something so moving, so close to where I grew up was was pretty poignant. But I would say the Sanderson uh, in my mid twenties, doing events there, but um, but being in a space that that I was absolutely enamoured with. And and for those that, that don't know the Sanderson, it's an Ian Traeger hotel. It's uh, it was designed by Philippe Stark, and and you know waltzing the the floors and the reception there in my event capacity was was my happy place. So I think that was definitely a a place that that has been hugely influential in, mm. in moving me in, in this direction. Great examples. I was just at Heidi over the weekend, actually. For Melbourne Design really Week. Time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful building. But yeah, I think hotels certainly also can be quite intoxicating spaces as well. And we miss that, don't we? I'm looking forward I to getting know. back into a few. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, having not formally studying uh, or studied design, um, what would you say have been maybe some of the more important things that or lessons that you've had to kind of learn about the industry rather than design and your craft, what you do best, but you know maybe the more business side of things? What have you had to learn on the job? Oh, that's a great question. Everything, <laughs> the hard way. So I, uh, what's um, when I worked in my in my first main design job which um, is it was at Hecker Guthrie when I was there for eight years and and loved it I, I approached them with my life experience being uh, a, a huge factor in why I thought they should employ me and that customer service piece I think so important because designers by their very nature are quite um, designers are creative and they're a little bit uh highly strung sometimes and they can be very they can you know be quite flighty and um and I don't think necessarily interior design and and client services are are aligned at all times because you're there trying very passionately to imbue your ideas with someone and and have them pay for them and have them execute you know want to execute them with you so I would say that um that into that client services side is probably where I really felt I could bring I could I could bring something to this space because you you know anyone can work in the design space but I think in order to maintain client um, relations and future business and referrals that that's probably been one of the most important things and I mean things go wrong all the time um, mm. you know furniture pieces arrive damaged um, we have concerns with lead times like everyone else at the moment mm. um, delivery people manhandling uh, our pieces <laughs> uh, client expectation they've spent a lot of money on these pieces mm. on these packages so I would say that's a huge part of what we do and you know no one can, can no one can everyone can forgive um, if there's good service attached to it you know and good understanding so I would say we're you know probably you know three parts designers and seven parts um, you know project managing and, and, and client management. Yeah. Um, so I've definitely had to, uh, I've had to explore help in every, in every element where I think I've, I've had, um, call it deficiencies or, you know, explore help where, I, where I've needed. And that's, you know, I'm seeing a business coach. Mm. Sounds a bit, sounds like I'm dating him. I'm not. <laughs> I am happily married. But, um, you know, business coaching, uh, put on a lovely media relations um advisor now and um logistics freight bringing in people that know more than me um collaborating with you know with uh, craftspeople with artisans with 
people that are on CAD. So I would say um, I feel like I'm a funnel for a lot of really fun ideas, but in order for them to eventuate, I really do need to call on everyone. So I would say I'm just a very small part of a very big puzzle. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's really smart. And you've raised a couple of really good points there. I think it's easy to forget that the design industry is essentially a service industry, and that is what you're providing for your clients. But yeah, I think, you know, many of us, when we start our own businesses, don't necessarily think about, yeah, hiring for those deficiencies, as you call them, and getting people on board to do the bits that we can't. And uh, it can be a bit of a steep learning curve, but it sounds <laughs> like you, you've really made headway. There was one particular one project in particular, I recall, where... Um there was quite a few things that arrived damaged. I had a, my second baby, I think, on the breast during the bump in. <laughs> I was going solo and I really didn't handle it particularly well when things had gone wrong. I was, um, I didn't have the resources available to, to, to sort of, well, to deal with the entire situation, to be honest. And it was such a good learning for me because the, this client was really open and said, I've loved working with you, I've loved your result. But he, this was this was really important to me to have this section of the project really resolved. And I think I feel that's sort of where it's come unstuck a little bit. And it was so brilliant of her to sit me down and say that because it's really easy to not say that. And, mm. um, and so I do thank her. And actually, I saw her a couple of weeks ago and I still thanked her for sitting mm. me down and kind of giving me a little bit of a talking <laughs> So that's good. But um, yeah, I, I just can't get over how many things can and do go wrong. Yeah. In, and that's and, and I chose this furniture vocation because I thought it was more risk averse. And, yeah. I, you know, no, no builders and no permits and nothing structural. But <laughs> yeah, yeah wow. things still do go wrong. Mm. Well, that kind of leads me quite nicely to my next question, actually, which is about sort of having role models and mentors and, and perhaps even other female mentors. I mean, as you just mentioned, having little children, you now have three. I honestly do not know how you do that and how other women who run businesses and have high-powered jobs are also mothers. So, yeah, did you kind of lean on other women for advice or just to sort of talk you down from the ledge, you know, so to speak? We've all been there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I would say there's a really great community of mums that we all work together in enough in, in former uh, large studio environments. So I think it is great to be able to lean into that community, to be able to, um, in early days, talk about things like pricing, billing, contracts uh, and advisors. So I can think of five um, ladies off the top of my head that... um, Actually, one of them I met, well, I saw at the gym this morning and as we're sort of doing F45 and we were doing our lunches, it's like, do you have a studio manager? No, do you? <laughs> so the environments in which we have these chats and the way that we do is quite unconventional. It's usually while juggling screaming kids or as you say, trying to get someone to talk you off the ledge. I love that. Um, I would say the great thing about what my business coach has brought to my thinking is that um, doing everything myself in the early days I then employed someone else to come and we then did everything ourselves and I've since employed two more women and we do everything and he's really trying to help me separate out the roles and and trying to elevate that creative director role so I can do things like podcasts and lunches Mm. and events and some tv work uh, and and oversee all the projects without having to be that um that main contact because as I say to clients they always do want the person whose name's on the door Mm. so if you're waiting for me to email you back it'll be three days longer than any of my team so you actually Mm. don't want it to be me because I won't be able to um to manage your expectations but in 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 terms of women um I think it is great because we are very open with our models we're open with how we charge and and and, um it's fabulous because I don't know if perhaps men or 
in that architectural space might be more guarded. But mm. um, you know, even just at Melbourne Design Week, meeting some architects within a couple of minutes, we're chatting about furniture and minimum spends and how do we do our things. So I would say women are, you know, in life and, and, and in business, they seem to be quite open about it. And I do really enjoy that that ability to um, get a bit of a check in. Mm. Um, yeah, but that's I do, a great point. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I do notice how, particularly during the pandemic, I think women really did uh, take on the brunt of this, uh, of their work and the family. And, and uh, it's really lovely to kind of be in a space where I think there's a bit of breathing room now. Mm. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I certainly noticed it just trying to get guests on the podcast. Um, you know, I'm, I've always been very keen to have a balance of voices and um, across genders and ethnicities and cultures, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, you know, nine times out of 10, the females that we were reaching out to were just like, we, I just can't, you know, there's too much going on. And I'm sure there were a lot of fathers out there that were doing great things, but it seemed like, yeah. The best thing that happened for me, my husband works in construction, was the two weeks forced lockdown. I was like, hey, <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> Bring on more. Now he's at home. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Well, yeah. Speaking of construction and your husband, I actually wanted to um, kind of guide the conversation towards your house because it, you know, that has been quite widely published, and I think there's been a couple of iterations of that. Your main home, and then of course there is the the beach shack, Mm -hmm. Angler's shack. Um, which has been published a number of times. And it seems like there's a mountain house in the works. I might get you to fill us in a bit on that as well. But, you know, would you call each of those spaces a laboratory? Is that kind of how you've treated them as experiments, perhaps? Uh, 100%. So the uh, Melbourne house, uh, I'm sure most people would would have seen it somewhere. Somehow it has been kicking around for probably about 11 years now. So <laughs> I actually feel like my t- the time with it has almost come. You know, you, you've, I've, I've extracted every possible um, moment I've had open to for design talks I've had shoots in there I've had a, um, it's been featured uh, when we ran out of people that wanted to feature it we did a renovation so we could feature it again <laughs> <laughs> so I really have uh, extracted every little bit of value but um, that was um, people may have heard me speak before about it being um, a log cabin type space that in Melbourne's outer east overlooking the Dandenongs at mid-century uh, architecture um, we it was a way to be able to start to showcase an aesthetic that I had that I, I feel like I've moved away from, but at mm. the time was 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 very much where where people's minds were. And um, at the time working for both Paul and Hamish, I uh, was able to share my aesthetic with 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 them uh, and also leverage off their advice. and it it led to the house being published some fifteen times, I'm sure. And um, so, yes, an absolute laboratory and uh, now it's a laboratory with a 65 kilogram Great Dane thundering <laughs> around in it so uh, I don't think it's quite as pristine as it used to be. Um, then uh, of course we we, we had um, Angler Shack which was my parents-in-law's little shack that we'd purchased and uh, again another opportunity. I mean I love buying furniture. Any opportunity that I see it I'll buy it so I have to keep buying houses in order to store <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, the Mountain House is... Um, a project that we're working on uh, with architects Healy Ryan that I used to share a space with at La Space. And um, the advice to us was, this is all pre-pandemic, you know, let's, um, from our um, financial advisor, let's sort of get you on a, on a project. Let's see how, uh, obviously, there'll be a certain build budget, a certain rental um um, a rental goal you'd have mm. to reach to make the whole thing viable and my husband and I have never embarked on a, on a new build before um, generally, generally opting for 
lightweight renovations with lots of furniture and good stuff. So um, this is really exciting. My husband's an engineer. He's a builder. He works with uh, Gushy Constructions. And so this is a, a weekend project for him and a way of giving us a, a base in the mountains with our family so we can ski and snowboard. Um, I mean, I've bought all the furniture, Susie. Already. The furniture's actually already in storage. <laughs> and I'm actually, I love that even more. <laughs> I'm curious if I'm going to be really sick of it by the time the build's finished, <laughs> knowing how construction's going. Um, but it is wonderful to um, to see my husband be able to take the lead in in. in in his with his knowledge of both engineering, construction, landscape architecture, and uh, so very excited. So I invite anyone to follow that journey. We've got some lovely collaborators coming on board with um, finishes and 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 good stuff. So. And there is an Instagram account. Already. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Mountain House Tommy is a little bit light on in relate in comparison to the Simone Haig one, but. Um, yeah, you probably hear my husband just, you know, out of breath wandering around and you know, looking at dirt piles. But if that's if that's your jam, then follow away. <laughs> that's great. Um, and so you already mentioned, um, you know, obviously the sort of shift or the progression or the evolution, however you would describe it, of your aesthetic from, you know, the very beginnings of your original house and, you know, now the work that you're doing. I'm curious to hear how you would describe your aesthetic now. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I have to be a chameleon in my work. Um, it's a really good question. Certainly not. Certainly, I don't shy away from colour, texture, pattern, and um, and and unique combinations. I quite proud of the fact that all the work is fairly different on the website, and I hope people um, can look at that and appreciate that that it's not necessarily because I have a schizophrenic approach to design, <laughs> that it's rather each and every client, their house is different, their budget's different, their level of comfort and, and their confidence is different. So all those things combined will, will create an, an outcome. Um, but I would say the aesthetic is bordering on maximalist. Um, I don't look at other jobs and look at the combinations that they do and think how I might mimic that. I honestly just look at furniture pieces that I love and once I, once I start mood boarding and they start moving together, there's just a, a happy place that you land. Of course, then trying to get the sign off of the spend. Well, that's a whole other question. <laughs> um, so I would say that I have to be a chameleon by way of of listening to some key words of, of the clients, seeing what work they respond to, whether it be mine or, or another designer's and, and, and then try and... It's a bit like um, if you're going on a first date and the your 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 date talks about loving I don't know hip hop music and next thing you're sort of there and you're sort of talking about the the one hip hop band hip hop band that you know but you know it's a way of association so I would say my job is very much to pick up these cues and and subtly interpret them and then feed them back to the client without the, without that really being an obvious it's hard to say I don't, I don't don't think I'm explaining it very well but no it sounds like almost you're a translator so they're explaining things to you but you're repeating it back to them in a visual way yes, is that is that that's sound? a great way of putting it yeah translator because I often do refer to a sort of that journalistic process in in my in my um, in my work and it's trying to sort of establish what they want and but how they describe things in words can be very different to how I might describe it in, in pieces but I would say translator journalist marriage counselor or all the all the above <laughs> all into one, yeah. yeah, all rolled into one. <laughs> but very subtly trying to take their cues and feed it back to them in a way without it looking like I've just heard what they've said and just given them what they've asked for, but I've added a lot of value along the way 
if that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so what would you consider to be, you know, the most important soft element of a room? You've sort of described what you do by saying that if you turn the room upside down, whatever fell out would be your remit. So if we're to talk about the soft furnishings or the soft elements and hard ones, you know, which would be the most important? Or do you have, is there often a starting point that's similar or does it change every time? Uh, I've, uh, I would say floors, wall, ceiling. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like that was drummed into me for eight years in my earlier career. Um, <laughs> I have a client at the moment who has a colour palette in their mind and found it difficult to translate that colour palette. And she was talking about dual colours and cool and um, it was very hard to interpret. And on one hand, she would say, oh, I know nothing about this, so I don't want you to listen too closely to me. But on the other hand, these references just kept coming up. And I said to her, right, we're going to go to the fabric houses and we're just going to have a play and we're just going to bring in pieces of fabric. And at first, she's, her questions were, what's this for? How can I use that? What what piece of furniture? I said, just throw all of that out of the window. We're just mm. going to we're just going to play. So we were into some of the uh, fabric houses on. Um, uh, High Street in Paran, mm. um, where you often find me. And uh, we started layering things up on the table. And it was very much in a warm, what is that, you know, warm, cool, hot. Yeah. And then mm. as, and then other hots would take over the, the original hots and then things would be out on the floor and on the table. And, and, the, and so it would be pieces that she, or fabrics that we thought we loved collectively, very soon were discarded by ones that we loved even more mm. and um, and then the combination of them together and, and it's funny because she had her husband or partner with her who's actually colourblind oh, and no. he was so much fun because he's like I've got no idea what's going on here but this is fabulous <laughs> super cute um, and the, the great thing was is that we walked away from there with a palette of eight or ten fabrics that now we've translated into um, perhaps getting a rug made based on the palette of one or recovering a bed that she had that she didn't love what she'd done in another. So all of a sudden she was in completely invested in the process because we were able to translate her her words into mm. this tangible moment that's now making its way one piece at a time into a, into a house. So that was a really fun um, program as part of the design work and I think I really should do it with every client. Mm. It, was, it was rad. As long as the partner's not colourblind. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that makes it challenging, definitely. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mentioned earlier, I'm going to go back a bit to uh, reference the whole um, spectrum of, of what you're working on. I mean, you're balancing being creative, you're balancing running a business, you're also balancing being a mother of three and a wife and, you know, probably many other roles in your life. How on earth do you do that and how do you stay motivated? <laughs> when your work is your passion, the motivation is, is I don't have to look very, very far for that. Um, kids are great. So I've got a three-year-old, six-year-old and seven-year-old that um, are very much, I would say, very affected by design and, and interested in it. And, and that was quite clear to me. We went snowboarding last um last year, snuck in between a couple of lockdowns. We had uh, two stays at two different lodges and there, one was beautiful. And one was a bit questionable, and um, their just their persona in both was really interesting to observe, and even their them identifying how they preferred being in one space. So I've obviously trained up kids with hugely uh, hopefully or well, hugely expensive tastes. Probably, <laughs> I probably raise kids now. It probably come back to um, shoot me the foot when they want to decorate their own bedrooms in ten years' time. Yeah. But um, so I would say motivation is is not a problem. Um, my clients and their enthusiasm feeds my motivation. My team and their enthusiasm 
feeds my motivation. Um, I'm now inspired by being able to be back in amongst showrooms it was awfully difficult to design without being able to touch and feel and gather and mm. that that lag time of wanting to bring all your samples together and waiting on good old australia post 12 <laughs> days later to drop a sample over so um in terms of children and and husband yeah it it just works um I don't sleep much at night and (laughs) (laughs) um, I would say that uh, I live and breathe what I do and I think that's evident in in the way in the relationships we have with our clients and how they know that I'm very available for them and and I hope they feel really supported in their in their in their journey with with myself in the studio Um, so now I guess it's trying to um, detach myself somewhat from the um, every day and by that I, I don't mean the everyday creative work but I mean just the ad administration mm. hence bringing in Natasha Allen who's mm. my media relations manager the business coach and and just trying to upskill the team to be able to take off and I think my, my business coach put it in a, in a fabulous way when he said it's about giving the team the parameters in which they can work without needing my instruction or needing my advice and, mm. and having them be able to really feel that they are in you know leading their their Leading their projects, not mm. just being led. And feeling empowered to make some decisions. It's really important. Yeah, that is important. That's great. Sounds like a great business coach. <laughs> he's wonderful. <laughs> Actually, I, I don't, this might go on a complete tangent, but he's, uh, he's got a particular knack for reading personalities and he's actually a couple of clients. There's been some jobs where we've um, not been able to progress through certain scenarios, nothing nothing major, Just um, and he's able to help me um, unpack their personalities just visually by, by seeing them and then actually has given incredible advice on how to move forward and it's it's spooky wow that's a whole other that's a whole other yeah, podcast maybe I need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well you mentioned inspiration before and I'm I'm quite keen to hear a little bit about you know how you and where you've been finding that obviously given the last two years without travel which is often a huge source of inspiration for many creative people so where have you been finding it in uh, with the lack of that well right right before all of this uh, madness kicked in we went to LA with uh, with my team and I think that was that was right that was probably the February before um, all the lockdowns kicked in so I think I am still floating a little bit off the, the good the good times that we had in that trip I'm, a, I'm an old school um, in terms of magazines, I like to touch and to feel. So I, I haven't really kind of got into the, the digital space too much. I spend a lot of time on a computer as it is. Mm. So very happy just to, you know, hook up in bed with the kids that are doing their readers while I'm, you know, flicking through magazines. So, uh, I mean, I know it's it's not really an exciting answer, but it, it really is. I, I've got stacks and stacks and stacks. I don't throw them out and I'm always pulling them out um, and finding new um, colour stories or, or, or suppliers. The, the tricky thing about the fairs is that what you might see might actually take two years to become a possibility to specify so it's a bit of a tease so you mm. see all these amazing things at the at the design fairs and then you might by the time they're actually in production they're quite far from your mind but I, w- I would say um, as, as as simple as it is a good solid stack of magazines um, some good tunes and um, my problem is, is how do I harvest all these ideas and how do I store them and how do I be able to circle back to them and I, if anyone has any ideas in that, <laughs> in that space please let me know because I mean my camera roll has some 67,000 67, photos and how do you keep track of all that I, I oh, don't know gosh. so that's my probably my, my biggest my biggest goal for this year coming is how to actually take all of that intelligence that you've and, and those pieces and those suppliers and 
propelled them in, but how, how do you take all those things and, and, and have them in a way that you can then resource from them? I don't know. Mm. I'm not sure. I haven't figured that one out. Yeah, that's a good question. But I am glad to hear that magazines are still, mm-hmm. you know, relevant. That's good to hear. Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to go back to travel again and, and sort of ask you a few more questions around that in terms of, you know, favourite cities for sourcing and um, or inspiration uh, and if there's any at the top of your bucket list at the moment. Well, I know it sounds boring and I know I've just touched on LA, but we are going back there for another trip in October. So at the moment, it just seems to be where my, my mind's at. I am um, particularly inspired by a lot of designers that are based in LA. Um, you know, there's a lovely woman, um, Tiffany, and her company name's Night Palm. So she's a bit under the radar, but fabulous style. And, um, you know, Pamela Shamshiri, who was um, one of the original founders of Commune Design. So there's a great bunch of talented women there. So I think both in that inspirational woman, mother, designer, LA, um, being there, going back there, that's kind of where, where, where I'm at at the moment. We had this fabulous trip where it was all about getting out of Instagram and, and, and meeting people. And because there was only five of us, we could be very agile on the trip. And it, there was places where we, you know, we'd meet one designer who'd say, oh, I've got to take you take you here. Next thing you'd be in the back of a Bronco, five of you <laughs> driving around to someone else's warehouse to, to then this beautiful space. Um, and I won't give too much away because I've got a trip coming up in October where it was like a warehouse space that was so beautifully furnished with vintage pieces and candle lit and they'd put on cheese platter because they heard the Australians were coming and then um, <laughs> the Australians I love that <laughs> we're a novelty um <laughs> So I, I'm really excited to go back there both um, to see, and I've got in my eye a couple of house, mid-century houses that um, Pamela Shamshiri has furnished. So I'm hoping to be able to see she might be able to show the team through. I'm hoping she listens to this because she, I haven't quite connected <laughs> with her yet. Um, so I would say LA is is where it's at for me at the moment. I, um, I'm also looking to go to the Milan Furniture Fair and would you, I've never been there. I've, I've had it on the bucket list of attempted to go about four times mm. and it just hasn't worked out for both family or, or lockdown related reasons so they're probably the two excellent something to look forward to now i, I believe that people are able to join you on this la trip yes. how, do, how do people get more information yeah. about that i sound like a radio announcer now. <laughs> you want to come <laughs> i may yeah good um so it's on the website there's an explore page that leads uh people to a link to to um to join us or to register so it'll be a small group um some 12 to 15 um, people we've got a um it's almost it's almost at capacity um but we could always sneak a few more on the minibus and uh <laughs> look I, I don't know how to put it but I, I think it's best to say that i'm i'm a professional designer not travel guide so you know there'll be an element of oh didn't quite sort that out properly, you know. But I hope I mean, I'm not going to be there with the umbrella charging around for people to follow me. It's yeah. about opening some doors, and um, I want people to be able to enjoy this trip. And if they decide they want to tap out of an activity and then join us for dinner, or if they're really loving where they are, then it's it's totally open for them to do that. But certainly, um, seeing some architectural gems, um, meeting some makers and, and craftspeople, and there's so many amazing ceramicists and. Um, uh, like you know, Beezippy, uh, mm. or um, your beautiful ceramicists, or um, makers and and whatnot. So it, it'll be it'll be good fun. Uh, I think one one of the um, I think one of the highlights 
of the LA trip last year, and I think it will be a highlight for everyone this year, is um, the Cars Are Perfect, which is the Future Perfect's oh, yes. house. Have you seen that I one? have not. I mean, online, yes, but not in real life. I, yeah, My trip goodness. to LA is long overdue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, it's, it's, uh, it's a city of... of um, paradoxes if that's the right word because I mean it's not a beautiful city mm. it really it has to I, I kind of liken it I mean a little bit to Melbourne and Sydney you know Sydney can rely on its beauty and its um, and its heart whereas Melbourne has to get a bit more gritty and a bit more interesting to, mm. to make it so desirable and I feel like LA is is that mm. and um, so yeah um, not not you know, not overly exciting, but give me LA and give me Milan, and no, I'm that pretty happy pretty with great. that. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a great place to start, at least. Anyway, yeah. um, well, thanks so much for your time, Simone. It's really been are a we, pleasure chatting. Are we finished we already? Are. Oh, we look. powered through those questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, well, that, was, that was amazing. You can keep going if you want to. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know what else I need to know, oh, wow. except that I guess we should probably tell the readers that. Um, that there is a project of Simone's in the next issue of DA Australia, which we're very excited about for the first time so in print. Excited. So Yeah, I'm really excited. I won't give too much away to the listeners, but this is a house with an extraordinarily um, gorgeous client who who had who was able to do design. She had done design on her previous homes. So it was a really interesting um, engagement process because she was in this space where she's like, I know I can do it. I've done it before. I've had various projects, but I really think I want to bring in someone else because the scale of the rooms were so overwhelming for her. Mm-hmm. And we took so much inspiration from her wardrobe. It's not funny. So I, I, they, I have to show you a behind the scenes photo of the photo sh- of, um, of her rolling around on her on the rug where literally every <laughs> Everything she wore was camouflaging because it was the 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 result of that project was really the result of what well, opening up her wardrobe. So that's a that was a fabulous one. I can't Amazing. wait to see it in print. Yeah, the colours are gorgeous. I think it will it will print very well. So thanks, Simone. Thank you, Susie. Oh well, well thank you, listeners, and look forward to chatting to you again uh, and maybe seeing you at our at our um, trip in LA. I hope so. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>